One of those voices you hear in the background is today's guest, Kelly Klinger, who happened to have done some background vocals and some studio work with Britney Spears and more. More about that in a bit. Hi, my name is James Rodriguez Horton, the host of The Original Doll. On The Original Doll, I unpackage music with the people who created it. We go behind the scenes of the creation of albums, tours, videos, and more. And at the same time, we give back to charity. So for every question a guest answers, we get items donated to charity. We partnered with OAOG and Our Art of Giving. We're able to supply items of comfort to those in need. So thank you so much. And a big shout out to all my Patreon patrons. Thank you so much. You all are the reason why this podcast can keep Keep going on. Thank you. And if you want to join Patreon for as little as donating a dollar a month, you're able to help keep this podcast open and free for all. And I want to get right into this episode, but just like with the rest of every other episode of the original doll, any audio ripping recording, any leaking of audio is strictly prohibited in every country in the world. So I want to get right to this. And we talked to Kelly Klinger, whose story is quite interesting. And I wanted to talk to you a little bit firsthand about there's a trigger warning for discussions that involve assault and suicide. So just wanted to give you all a heads up. If that's something too deep, go ahead and pass on this episode. Uh, but I wanted to keep everything intact because this is Kelly's story. And we learned so much from her. And I want to thank her for being open and honest with everything. So without any further ado, my name is James Rodriguez Horton. And this is The Original Doll. <laughs> the Original Doll. Let me welcome Kelly Klinger. Thank you so much for having me and for naming an entire podcast after me, the original doll. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I love it. This is all this is all you. This is all you. I love it. Totally um, see this. We're gonna have so much fun today. And it's like, I just want to thank you because I know in this time, especially with Britney Spears and music and everything, a lot of people are more concerned with, you know, should I talk about this? Should I not talk about this? Who should I talk to and everything? So thank you. And for the first time listeners, this is what's great. Kelly is on here and for every question she answers, we get items donated to charity. And for all the listens we get in the first 24 hours, we get items donated to charity. So we are presently helping women and families at domestic abuse shelters. We're helping them get, get right back on and, and just live their life the way that they should. Happy, less stress. So if we can take a moment of not having them feel so stressed and so much weight on them. That's what we do. So thank you, Kelly, for being here and helping out. Thank you so much for letting me be a part of that. That is huge. Not all podcasts have any kind of philanthropic uh, connection or charitable connection. So I love that. I love that about just you. You must have such a great heart. I feel like we're probably going to be friends forever now. So absolutely yeah. absolutely especially because the shirt that you're wearing and everything i love <laughs> I this she is wearing a free britney shirt i love and it rainbow love it. of course because oh it's even better yeah, everyone it's, yep I it's love rainbow this. i love my rainbows for sure oh my goodness i love it well i want to um i just again thank you so much for being here because there are a lot of people who have worked with britney and worked on different tours worked behind the scenes and many people may be like, I don't know, is my story interesting enough? Is it not interesting enough? I think that from what I know of you, your story is so unique. And I'm glad that you're sharing this with us. Your, your story of just 
surviving everything. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like touring all this stuff. So we're going to go into this. So let's go ahead and let's rewind all the way back. Okay. okay. How far back so, do you want to go? Exactly. The night your parents met. I know. <laughs> The year was 1967. <laughs> I, love it. I love it. So what I want to do is, for those who don't know, actually, Kelly has a connection to Britney Spears. So Kelly, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Okay. What part you played? And then we're going to go rewind back to how you got started in music. Okay. okay? Um. So do you want me to rewind all the way back to when I first met Britney the first time? Yep. Okay. So the first time I ever met Britney Spears was on the set of the Mickey Mouse Club in 1992. Um, I was a fan of the show and attended tapings and ended up having friends on the show. And at the time I was in high school and I went to Dr. Phillips High School, which is where like Joey Fatone from NSYNC went and- We, yeah, so we were, we were in, I, we were in, um, chorus and drama and stuff together. Um, we're still friends, but, um, so I ended up at the show a lot. And so the first time I ever laid eyes on Brittany was a musical number. Um, it was actually Christina Aguilera was singing love can move mountains. And I remember these tiny little kids because it was the very beginning of that season. And so all these kids were new. And I remember her coming out. I, I very distinctly remember Christina Aguilera opening her voice and me opening her mouth and me being like, that cannot be her voice, first of all. But Brittany, that's the first time I ever saw Brittany. So I think she was 11, I'm pretty sure, and was this tiny little thing. And, um, and then what, what happened was after the show, they all sort of lived in the same apartment complexes. And so I would go to one of their apartment complexes and everyone would end up by the pool together or in someone's apartment together. And so that was the first kind of interaction that I had with her personally. That was when I met her mom. That was when I met Jamie Lynn, who was really, really young at the time um, and who I would label, quote unquote, a handful. She She was sort of notorious for like, Everyone was like, oh, God, it's Jamie Lynn. Like, you know, like, oh, I mean, I think she was like two. She was so young. I don't even know if she's that Mm -hmm. old. Um, But so that was the first, like, interaction that I had with her. And then, um, of course, the show got canceled in 94. And through a whole bunch of crazy series of events, I ended up working for Wright Entertainment Group and Transcontinental Records, who at the time was run by... Johnny Wright and Lou Pearlman. And Lou Pearlman is, of course, who put Backstreet Boys and NSYNC together and later on ended up in jail because he was a crook. And um, so that was the most concise description (laughs) of him. (laughs) Accurate and it's so perfect. Yes. So um, but on the, the the way that things were set up was Johnny Wright's office was literally across the parking lot from Transcontinental Records. So I would sort of venture back and forth. And it was the days when you'd be walking down the hall and you'd see, you know, you'd pass Nick from the Backstreet Boys and then you'd pass Mandy Moore and then you'd pass and you were like, man, this is where everyone should be. Right. So I was in a hallway 
can't remember exactly what I was doing, but I was in a hallway and I was walking down the hallway and Brittany was coming my way in the hallway. And I'm like, this girl is not going to remember who I am because it's been, I don't know how many years she was young. So she hung out with the younger kids and I hung out. I was still trying to get JC Shazay to notice who I was, you know what I mean? <laughs> and um, I was like, she's never. You were blowing him up with your love. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> I'm like, if you're going to be schizophrenic, like, can one of your personalities love me? I don't know. <laughs> That was in reference to his album, not his personality, by the way. Yes, I love it. I love, but, um, it. I love it. So she was coming toward me in the hallway. And it was that moment where it was like, do I stop her? Do I, you know, you have that like split second. It's like, and at the time she wasn't Britney Spears. Like I just knew her from the show. And so we sort of made eye contact and she stopped and was like, Kelly. And I was shocked. I was like, yeah. And she was like, oh my gosh, I haven't seen you in years. How are you? You know, and we just stood there and we talked for a few minutes and, you know, I asked her what she was doing. And at the time she was going to be joining a girl group, um, it, which became Innocence, which was managed by Lynn Harless, Justin Timberlake's mom. And then the I have their, I was just looking, I have a vinyl record of theirs in one of these slots over here. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> I'm still really good friends with Nikki Deloach, who's was in the group. Hallmark queen. Yes. Love her. We love her. God, that girl has a heart of gold. Um, but so, so at the time, and then the next thing I knew she wasn't in the group anymore and she was recording an album and she was, she had gotten a record deal by herself and a few months later, I was doing session work for Johnny Wright, which if you don't know what session work is, it's when they hire a songwriter, can hire a vocalist if they write a song and they want to present it to a producer or they want to present it to an artist. They call in somebody like me who can go in and do one or two passes of a song. They don't have to pay you for being there for hours because you're professional and you've done this a million times. And so I became a session singer for Transcontinental and for Johnny. And so I was over on Johnny's side of the building and one of his assistants came out and was like, Hey, Brittany's doing a tour and it's her first headlining tour. And they're trying to find background singers. And she was like, would you have any interest whatsoever? And I was like, I mean, at the time I had a two-year-old daughter and like she wasn't like I always tell people like she wasn't Britney freaking Spears yet. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It was yep, like, is this going to be a, a, it's all I could think was, hasn't she been on a mall tour? Like, do I want to do a mall tour? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was like, you know, taking it back to Tiffany in the eighties. Exa exactly. Right. So I'm like, yeah, do I want to be like Debbie Gibson's background singer? Like I, I didn't know where we were going with this, you know? Absolutely. And she said, well, I think we're going to have like thousands of people audition. And she's like, Johnny wanted me to throw you in the mix and just see if you were interested. And I was like, well, okay. I hate auditioning for anything, but why not? So a couple weeks later, they held auditions. And I remember I sang Amazing Grace. 
Um, Brittany was not in the room. It was, uh, from what I can remember, it was Johnny Wright and Mark Goff, who was her um, vocal coach at the time. And um, a couple days later, I got a phone call from Johnny's assistant. And she was like, well, congratulations. She said, you're going to be a background vocalist on the baby one more time tour. So welcome to the family. And I was like, oh, God. <laughs> now, let me ask you. So this was your first tour, correct? Like yeah. this was the first time you were on a tour. and here you are like and it's and and we talked about this in a previous episode is that everyone's like oh britney spears came out strong heavy right away it was like it was a build and then definitely, once- yeah it definitely was a build and i actually looked it up last night because i was curious when baby warmer time came out and it was it was 98 is what i found yep, from what i, I just- remember was from when we started rehearsals for the tour And when we actually got into the dates for the tour, I don't know what happened in that time because I was in that little tour bubble, but it felt like one day we could go to Burger King and the next day we couldn't. It it was Mm -hmm. like, boom. And that was when I was like, oh God, what have I gotten myself into? Like, I had no idea that it was going to be what it became. Not a clue. So were you, this is a question and, and I'm sure the listeners are, are curious too. So when you're working with an artist like this, and we know in many of these big tours, the artist usually doesn't have enough um, discography to fill up a whole thing. So that's why like there was Open Arms, Black Cat, but whatever it was, yes. uh, the, the different covers. Do you start working? Because by the time, I believe it was June of 99 when the, the baby tour kicked off is the album had just came out in January. Did you get familiar with the music from the CD or were they like, hey, we're going to have, this is like, this is the music direction. Don't listen to the album. Do you know what I mean? Like, how did you get started out with the CD, but I have my binder with all, uh, it actually says like baby one more time tour 99 on the front. And it has all the lyrics to all the songs and all my notes still written in it. That was like, okay, in this part, I sing the soprano part and this part, I sing the melody. So I need to find that binder. It's I'm sure it's in a box somewhere, but so we started rehearsals with a vocal coach with a CD. That's how we started. Um, And then we actually went into the recording studio and recorded all of the background vocals for open arms um and the beat goes on uh the I think it was it a it was a Janet Jackson medley I believe because I believe it was like it's black hat nasty if you're nasty or something I remember yeah I know it's funny because fans remember like so much more than I do and I'm like can you please explain what that was because I don't remember To be fair, it's it's one of those things. It's like you and even Britney herself. Britney's like, I don't remember right. that song. I'm not going to do a country accent, but she's like, I don't remember that song. So let me ask you this, though. Why record the background vocals for those specific songs versus the rest of the, the set list? Okay, so we did record some additional background vocals for a couple songs. Like um, in Baby One More Time on the tour, I actually sang a higher 
part than what was actually on the album. I actually sang now, if you're not a musician again, but I sang a third above the highest soprano part on the album. But so there were a couple songs that we did. And so what a lot of people don't realize is that even though you have a live band on a tour, especially back then, they would play to a track. There would still be a track, whether it was a click track, which is what the drummer would play to to stay on the beat that just had the background vocals in it. Um, but back then, especially people like Janet Jackson and Britney, who did a lot of dancing, which makes it really hard to sing, mm -hmm. a lot of them would sing over themselves. So they would mm -hmm. leave her lead vocal in the track, bring it down a lot. And, you know, and but so she would still technically be singing live, but she's singing over herself. Well, and that's something that we talked about with David Sinospina remix, Baby One More Time. And he did the remix for From the Bottom of My Broken Heart, where he talked about it was like the TV edits. He's like, you know, it's so that she has that. And also it's so that she can give herself a second to remember, to breathe, to, yeah. to go through this, where the song keeps going. So it's not an abrupt stop. Yeah. Um, and that's something that has been around forever. And I think it makes sense to have that, especially because the the amount of time that you all were traveling into different cities, states, atmospheres, everything, it's like allergies, all these other things could really affect it. And I think people didn't think about the fact that you had, the, the voice is such a muscle that is very fragile. Yeah. That if you oversing it, you could do permanent damage to this. Yeah. And you all went on that tour and the tour before, I think it was like, let's say Mariah Carey's tour. She only had like 12 dates on her world tour, mm -hmm. you know? And then Britney had like 12 just on like the East Coast. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, like in a week so, is how it felt. <laughs> hopping out for a quick second. I wanted to talk a little bit about that. When I was doing research about different tours and things like that, and, you know, I deep dived through radio stations, radio programmers, radio archives and everything. And now I've been doing tour archives is that Mariah Carey went on her first ever kind of headlining tour uh, back in 1993. And that was in support of her Music Box album, which is one of the great albums of all time. And what was interesting is that tour, okay, in 1993, started October 29th, and it went through December 10th. It played only seven shows. That was it. So her tour was seven shows. Now, her next tour that she did, which would be in 1996, was the Daydream World Tour. And that was, once again, a world tour. And she did seven dates. And it was in Tokyo for, you know, three days, and then Europe for the other four days. So an artist like Mariah Carey albums into her career, because the Daydream album was her fifth studio album. She was only doing seven dates. Now, when we look at Britney Spears... I was going through all the different tours that she had, and we were just talking about the um, the fact that this tour, the Baby One More Time tour, Britney's first ever kind of headlining tour, if you will, they didn't know what was going to happen because at the time, and we talked about this with the producers from the first and second album, is the actual song Baby One More Time took a bit to catch on. When it did, it hit hard. 
everyone in the world. It became a global thing. And at the time, Britney Spears then had to go and do promo overseas. She had to do promo not only in the U.S., but she had to do some overseas. Now, with this Baby One More Time tour, which we're talking about with Kelly, is this was after her L'Oreal Mall tour. Now, this tour in 1999 had 56 show dates between June and September. Okay, so if you think about it, like I said, Mariah Carey's first, you know, kind of headlining tour was the end of October, then November and December. She had seven dates. Britney Spears, end of June, July, August, you know, mid-September, she did 56 tour dates. So they knew right away, let's keep, let's keep her going. Then from there, they did the Crazy 2K tour, which we're going to go into in a few weeks. But then by the time the Oops tour came around, it was 88 dates, okay? So this is something I wanted to point out where the demand was high. And a lot of these artists, the label said, oh, let's go try to make money now. And Britney Spears talked about wanting, you know, time in between each tour. Because we love a new album, of course. But when you think about it, Britney Spears has been recording songs while on tour for the last album, recording for the new album. So that's something to keep in mind that these artists were being pulled left and right. And to Kelly Klinger's point, at the beginning, no one knew how big this was going to be. And Britney Spears, within the first year of, you know, the Baby One More Time song hitting radio, it skyrocketed. It took a bit to start, but then boom, it skyrocketed. So we're going to go back to this episode, but I wanted to point that out um, because I think it's interesting to see the artists that have been pushed to get on tour and make the money that way versus the artists that can be selective in the dates that they choose. All right, so now back to the show. So let me ask you this. From the moment that you got that initial, hey, this is the, the set list, did anything change from that? Did you have to learn new songs on the road? Um. I think it was pretty set in stone from what I can remember once we recorded the extra stuff. Um, as For as long as I was on the tour, I re- from what I remember, we basically stuck to that. They had a set list. And because once we did the rehearsals with the, the vocal coach with the CD, then they moved us to rehearsals in a different building with the band. So from what I remember, I don't, I don't think it's changed. Now, I, I know she did a special where she sort of dressed up like Cher, I think, and did, and the beat World Music Awards. Yeah. And so I, I think there were certain times when maybe songs were left out or something like that. But for the most part, from what I remember, I think the set list was pretty set in stone. And so then for you going on to this, how how did you feel because ultimately being a background vocalist it's like you as a vocalist want to like shine how do you make sure that you don't go you know what i mean that extra mile where they're like hold on we don't want mariah carey in the back you know what i mean well how there's, hard a, was there's that a little to- bit of a story there i don't know that i've ever told this story but i mean why not hopping out for a quick second to remind you to follow me on patreon patreon.com slash the original doll or you can go ahead and find it at www.theoriginaldoll.com and don't forget to find me on instagram the.original.doll or on twitter at james rodriguez r-o-d-r-i-g-u-e-z and for those that are into tiktok it's the james rodriguez r-o-d-r-i-g-u-e-z now back to the show 
More exclusives on the Original Doll Podcast. So the other background vocalist was Kylie Dean, who, if if your listeners aren't familiar with Kylie Dean, you have to Google her. Go watch her YouTube videos. That girl has one of the best voices you've ever heard in your life. And she went mm-hmm. on to sing background vocals for Demi Lovato and Madonna and Matthew Morrison and all kinds of people. So when it came time for her to introduce the band, each band person got like a solo. So like, oh, here's my drummer, slam, play the drums, da, 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 da. you know, here's my band. And so when it came to the background vocalist, they had given us um, Lauren Hill songs that we were supposed to do. Yeah, like, girl, you know, you better watch. We were supposed to do those. Yeah. Well, I don't know who made this decision. Let me say that. I know it was not Brittany. But in about the third rehearsal, when it came time for Kylie and I to do our solos, we found out everyone was doing a solo except for the background singer. (laughs) Yep. Sure did. The dancers each came down those stairs and did a little, you know, Andre and TJ and Carissa, and they were all doing their little things. And then it was like me and Kylie over on the side, like, la, 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 la. So, yeah, I don't know who made that decision. I'm, you know, I, I think they were like, it's just too long, I think. But, you know, I think at the time we were like, sure, it's too long. You know, you. <laughs> I was, so. I was thinking, I mean, I was just thinking like, maybe some vocalists not her specifically are like no we don't they do there are there are some and and you know as a background singer you do realize your job is to stay in the background and your job is to support the artist and that's that's okay you know like I always tell people like I got the better end of the deal I got to see the world and meet people and I could still go to Whole Foods you know like I it it I think I would have chosen that over being hunted like an animal. And, you know, so you kind of accepted that as, as your role, but that's kind of a funny story that we were like, okay, we're in the background. Got it. You know, like it's a, we got it. So. So, so let me ask you this, what happens, you know, if it's, if it's you two and then Brittany singing, what happens if one of you all gets sick? Um, well, if Brittany gets sick, she's kind of up a creek because mm-hmm. no, everybody's there to see her. Um, mm-hmm. And then if me or Kylie got sick, then one of us would just fill in. And because our because there were still background vocals on the track, you wouldn't necessarily notice unless you knew there were supposed to be two of us. And I always say this, and you're somebody who's who's worked with her and who who's met her and you know conversed with her. Yeah. I always say the only person more surprised that Britney Spears is a big superstar is Britney Spears. Absolutely. When we first arrived in um, West Palm Beach to to do the rehearsals, actually on the actual stage, and they were bringing her into the building for the first time to see her stage. And they had brought down all the lights except for the lights that were on the stage. And a bunch of us are walking in and Brittany of course is in the front and all I can hear Brittany going, Oh my God, y'all. Oh my God. y'all! Oh my God, y'all. 
And it was, it was a moment that was like, this poor girl has no idea what's about to happen to her. And, you know, I was 22 at the time. And I think she was 17, 16 or 17. You, you probably know. And, um, (laughs) 17. (laughs) 17. Okay. And I just remember, you know, feeling a little bit like, like not sad, but just like, this is going to change her life. And is she even aware of what's about to happen? And, but she was so in awe of all of it. And it was like a kid. It was like a a kid walking into a birth, a surprise birthday party where someone had decorated the place and they were, and it was all for you. And it was like, Oh my gosh, like they did all this. And this is for me. Like it was, it was very surreal. It was surreal for me being like, I have to sing on that stage, you know? And I, I just, I can't imagine how it must've felt for her. And then of course, like in-ear monitors were new then, and we all hated them. Brittany hated them, you know, and then they made her wear. Explain to the listeners what that is. Oh, so, okay. So it used to be in the old days, quote unquote, you would have like a floor wedge or like a speaker on the floor. And that is what would play your music. And that is how you would hear yourself when you're singing in a microphone. Well, as time progressed, people realized, well, if you're dancing all over the place and you're climbing stairs and you're over on the side, it's not really practical. So someone who I have no idea who it is, but maybe I'd like to slap around a little bit, create <laughs> It's probably like if, if, if you're the owner of Shore or Axiom, I'm sorry. I love you. <laughs> but so I was like, you know, it, it, so they, they, so you would go to an ear doctor and they would spray this foam in your ear that would make a mold of your ear. And then they created these tiny little speakers that are a, a kind of like what we would say are like AirPods now, except they're molded to your ear. And you would sort of slide them in your ear. And that was your monitor. That was how you could hear yourself. And the weird thing about in-ear monitors is you can ask for, hey, I need more drums. Hey, I need less of me. Hey, I need more of Brittany. Hey, I, you know, and it was so foreign and weird and new. And when you're not used to that, it was, it took a lot to get used to. And I remember like Brittany and she was always so graceful and kind and sweet and so much more, so much more kind than I would have been because I can remember her like whipping the, the in-ear monitor out and being like, I hate these, you know? And we were like, we hate them too. (laughs) Um, And, but another thing it did was you couldn't hear crowd noise. So when you had those in, they were totally noise canceling. So like, I remember the first show I took one out because I was like, are people even yelling like, or, and then mm-hmm. you took one out and you were like, holy crap, it's loud in here, you know? So, um, and then of course, what we, what I now fondly refer to as the Britney mic, you know, the, yep. the headset mic, that thing was new to her too. And I remember those first few rehearsals were like, oh God, this poor girl, this is going to be This is going to be really interesting to see how she handles this, but she always handled everything just like a rock star. She really did from the very beginning. She was always so sweet. And, you know, looking back, I'm like, I don't think I would have been that patient, 
but she was always very patient. Well, and that's something where here you are, you're, you're a singer, you understand these things. And even you are like the weight of that. The fact that like we can look at NSYNC or Backstreet Boys, even the Spice Girls, there were many of them to kind of field all that stress. Mm-hmm. And it's like, there is Britney Spears on stage, this 16 to 17 year old, that the weight of it, I think, had to have been overwhelming, it, you know, because no to. matter what. Yeah, it had And to. she knew everyone. She, it's, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty, And I, I, I noticed so many things now looking back and um, that I didn't notice at the time, whether it was just because I was so young and, and, you know, self-absorbed and only aware of how overwhelming it was to me. But, um, you know, like I remember her going up and down those stairs because it was, you know, it was the tour with the stairs in the middle. And I remember her being so scared she was going to fall. And so she would go up and down and up and down and up and down the stairs. And if you went to her show, you, she never flinched that one time, like she was going to fall. You know, it, it, she just handled it all like a trooper. And looking back, I wonder if that was if it was a mixture of perfection and wanting to be the best and then also feeling like the weight of everything in her family was on her to be perfect and to be the thing that was going to make sure they were taken care of and how much weight that is to put on a child and how much that weight that must have been for her to walk around being like, all of this depends on me, you know, and how many people you employ and you're 17 mm-hmm. years old, you know, I mean, it, it, it had to have been crushing, which we know later on after years and years, it definitely was crushing. But at the time you could sort of begin to see the pressure. Well, and that's one of those things where it's like you, I always say it's like the, the thrill of the performance. You have all that, that extra adrenaline pumping, but then after a while you're like, you're stopping. And when you're, when in your mind, you're like, I have to take care of everyone. You're going to force yourself to keep going on and not listening to your body. She had knee issues she had other you know things that happened but I remember I interviewed uh singer-songwriter Tori Alamaze she actually did makeup and stuff for NSYNC for a while when they were with when Britney was uh opening for NSYNC and she said you know there I was just the makeup person and Britney would walk past like hey Tori how are you like where she knew everyone and that she was just okay, we're all here to do a job, but that she never mistreated anyone, that she could have easily been like, don't look at me, don't talk to me, step away. But she wasn't trying to do that. No, I never saw her. I mean, ever. I never saw her be ugly to somebody or say a crossword about someone. Or, you know, sometimes we would take a bus from the hotel to the venue. And I remember one time I was... I walked, she was sitting on the bus and I walked by and she was like, sit down, Kelly. And so I sat down and I remember just having a conversation with her and we were making fun of some girls who showed up at one of her shows who had NSYNC tattoos. And we just thought that was hilarious. And I remember (laughs) just talking, you know, like we were girlfriends and she was lovely and she still had, you know, her Southern accent at the time. And, um, she was approachable. She did. She wasn't intimidating. 
you know, I've been around a lot of celebrities at this point, and there are some who have rules like don't make eye contact with him with him when you see him in the hallway or whatever. There was none of that with her. She she wanted she wanted everybody to be a part of it and feel like it wasn't just her show. It was all of our show. Well, and that's what I love. And in talking with all of these her other songwriters and producers, they said the one thing people need to know is that she's a well, two things. She's a hard worker and she loves music. She loves she will listen to other people's CDs. Like they said in the studio, she's like listening to somebody else's that she wasn't so like, oh, I don't listen to anyone else's music. She's like, I'm listening to Paula Cole. I'm listening Janet to, Jackson. you know, Natalie Imbruglia, Janet Jackson, yeah. Madonna. And that's what I like that Britney Spears was truly raised in that MTV generation mm-hmm. where the Michael Jacksons, the Cindy Loppers, the Madonna, Whitney where you could tell that she had that inspiration. And she also, those were also some people at the time that were never those ego, don't talk to me, you're, mm. you're a background vocalist. I, some of them may have changed over the years. I'm not yeah. saying anything like yeah. that. So let me ask you this. Okay, so you're on, you're on tour, you're on Baby. It's coming to an end. It had been like three months. It was like most of the whole summer. Was there already discussion of, hey, we're going to kick off the new era, which we now know at the time was oops. We're going to need you around to do promo. We're going to need to keep the same people around. Like what was, what happened at the end of the tour? Okay. So I didn't make it to the end of the tour because mm-hmm. um, on, on one of our stops, we, I, a whole bunch of us, Brittany was not included, Uh, some members of the band and I think some dancers we went to a bar one night and you know people I think think of tour life as sort of glamorous and um you know they don't really think about the the part of living on a bus or living out, out of a suitcase or living in a hotel um but it there's you it's a very weird schedule because you know, you go on at like nine o'clock at night, you're on for two hours, and then somehow you're supposed to get your adrenaline to go down to go to sleep. And then you don't work again until like nine o'clock the next day. So it's a very weird, it's a very weird dynamic. But one night when the show was over, um, a bunch of us went to a bar and um, I got drugged and ended up in a hotel room and was raped and got sent somehow ended up back in my room um tried to commit suicide and one of Brittany's bodyguards came to get me because I didn't show up for call time and he started banging on the door and I was on the floor of the bathroom and he finally went and got a key and came in the room and called the called an ambulance and an ambulance came and took me to the hospital. I don't remember a lot of it. And, and it's mm-hmm. actually the bodyguard was Q who actually died um, a couple of years ago. And, um, but he rode with me in the ambulance. And I remember him being like, you have value and you have worth and please, you know, please just take care of yourself and whatever you need to do. And I actually went to his funeral and shared with his mom, you know, what he had done for me. Cause it really, I feel like he saved my life. And, um, so I ended up in a hospital and, um, from the next thing I knew the tour was gone and I was in the hospital. So 
I never actually finished that tour. I, my mom flew and took me back to Orlando. So a girl named Natalie is the girl that took my place on the tour. Um, which is why a lot of people are like, we don't know who you are. Where did you come from? You know, because what ended up happening was, was I ended up not going back and Natalie took my place. Mm -hmm. Um, so not to go in a super dark direction, but you know, that's, that's part of why it took me a long time to really feel like I could talk about that time in my life. Cause it's obvious, it was obviously really triggering and, you know, I love my therapist and love my meds a lot. And it's, you know, helped me, um, be able to tell my truth and to help other people too, who've been through the same thing. Um, but I also tell people if Brittany had any clue, she would be horrified if she had known what had happened, if she had known that they left me there. I mean, I can't, I can't imagine that, you know, she would have been absolutely horrified and she, no one actually knew everything that happened until years and years later. Cause I wasn't willing to tell the story. Um, and you didn't, and you didn't have to either. Like you didn't no, have to. No. And I, I, you know, when, when I finally, I tweeted, you know, I love Brittany and I want her to be free. And the people that came after me that were like, where have you been? Why have you been quiet this whole time? You know, and, and um, so that was, that was really tough. Cause it's like, you know, you really want to know, do you really want me to yeah. tell you the story, you know? And um, just to fast forward a little bit in 2008 um, after the shaving of the head incident and all that kind of stuff, I flew to LA cause I was like, I need to go find her. And I, mm-hmm need her to know that I love her and I need her to know that there are people that love her and didn't know anything about a conservatorship. Didn't even know how to spell it. I didn't even know what that was. And, um, realized really quickly something was wrong and that nobody could get anywhere close to her. And sorry about that. And that was the last time that I ever had any kind of, or tried to have any contact with her was in 2008. Um, I saw her after the tour ended at some point, the next tour after that, I went just to see everybody because I hadn't, you know, seen them because I had left the tour so abruptly and, um, she was so different. She was like a, it was like a monkey, like just pull the string in her back and she'll perform. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I, I don't know. I know that it was tour by tour by tour by tour. It was work, 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 work. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, anytime she wanted to take a break, there was no break. That was a really long answer to your question. (laughs) No, it's no, but it's not what what I love. And thank you for, for opening up like that, you know, because I think, you know, it's, it's a conversation. And I think many times talking about, rape assault everything i think people don't realize how much more common it common that it is yeah you know i don't know what the statistic is, statistic is but it's like one in five or something and that's just people that come forward and so thank you for sharing that because i think that you know that is a true moment and then you're talking about like thinking about suicide and 
there's, you know, there's this guy saying you have value. It was almost like, you know, the spirit himself was like, no, no, you're not done. You're not done. Yeah. And these are the stories where it's like so realistic because life still happens. Life still goes on. Yeah. There's no glamour. There's no, you know, there's no magic. There's, it feels like there is because when you're in two hours of this person that you love their music and you idolize them and they're precious and they are 99% of them. And, you know, you, and there is this magic. Like I went to a Jonas brothers concert last week. And of course I'm like, hi, I'm the oldest one here, but whatever. And, um, you know, like Kelsey Ballerini was one of the opening acts and she's so beautiful and small and in in a lot of ways reminds me of Britney. And, and, you know, I'm like, it feels magical. It feels so cool. And when that person leaves the stage, Mm -hmm. the feeling that they have and the way that they have to somehow be normal or like maintain some kind of normalcy is almost, it's almost like our human bodies and minds weren't designed to do that. And when you add into it that maybe there's not a lot of support around you to help keep you grounded, I don't know that very many people could survive that. So it is a very, um, there is a a very um, not glamorous part of it that people don't really talk about. Well, and, and that's something where it's like, it's the grueling thing because you yourself protecting your voice on this tour can you catch something from this bus or this plane flight like all this stuff happens and it's many people are like oh you must have been able to enjoy you know Sioux Falls or something like that and it's like yeah no because I was like no here's the hotel or whatever it is venue venue leave and the hard part to your point is it's that that high that you get of performing that doesn't go away that adrenaline doesn't stop when when the curtain comes down And I think that the sad part is when you see people being treated completely like a machine. Yeah. Everyone needs that. I always say control, alt, delete. Everyone needs that reset. And, and the sad part is in, in a situation like Britney Spears is she said over and over, like, I haven't been able to get that control, alt, delete, that, that reset. And I look and I go, the weight of all this is on her and if her family and everyone is saying oh we need you to do another tour or if you want to see your kids it's this and that it's like that's just grueling grueling emotionally and physically but it's also emotionally physically grueling for everyone involved not being able to see your family and your friends and you know yeah you can't you can't just go hey I'm gonna go out today and you know go to I don't know, Chipotle or something like that to go eat. It's true. Yeah. We, I remember, I mean, I had it, like I said, I had a two-year-old and I remember being backstage somewhere and I was on the phone with my two-year-old and I was crying. And I remember Brittany walking by the door and she could hear me and she poked her head in and she was like, are you okay? And I was like, I miss my daughter, you know? And she was like, okay, well, you let me know if you need me, you know, or, you know, it, it, she was just that kind of person. She just, she had just a, a unique light. I think that, that I feel like that some people are born with this light 
that just shines from within. And I really believe in energies and I really believe in, um, in kindness. And I, I, and she had that, she had that light. And the sad part about having that light is that people will take advantage of it. And I think that, and people will try to be energy vampires and suck that light out of you. And I think, unfortunately, what ended up happening was she ended up with a lot of people around her, including some members of her own family, who that's what they did. so much for being here on the original doll podcast with james rodriguez and i want to thank you for opening up and telling your story and just being a survivor of the industry and everything else and i hope you do something very soon thank you so thank you for being here thank you so much for having me i really appreciate it this has been a lot of fun reminiscing about things i hadn't thought about in a really long time so thanks for giving me a safe space to speak. The original